Hello and welcome to South Africa on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I'm Neil Manthorpe. My fellow uh, host is Lungani Zama. Um, South Africa on 99.94 is your new home for South African content. Uh, we'll be dropping into your podcast feed on YouTube or the 99.94 app several times every week. I'm sure that those of you who've been following us for a while are aware that uh, Sam's and I are with you at least twice a week. And we're in October anyway. Um, so please rate, review and subscribe. And if you get the chance, uh, do check out the Mitch Johnson show, uh, talking about the Aussie quick, talking about his life in cricket and his life after cricket as well. Uh, you can find it wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Uh, thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. We're going to talk a little bit in this episode about uh, some domestic matters. First of all, the appointment of a new interim Proteas men's coach. Malibongwe Maketa is currently the SAA coach, but South Africa A don't play very much cricket. So um, he's also part of the High Performance Academy Um He's a highly regarded coach. He had uh, considerable domestic success with the Warriors in the Eastern Cape. Um, it's an interim appointment. Uh, I think you know where I'm, I'm heading with that, uh, Zams. But uh, first of all, uh, when we discussed the possibilities for a new head coach, I certainly was a big fan of, of Malik Bangui Maketa. And I said, you know, I did ask the question, where's he gone? Why isn't he the front runner? I mean, he's surely... Um, the natural successor. Um, and and so, yeah, he's got the job. <laughs> he's got to take the team to Australia for three test matches. Yeah, when you hear the, the words interim coach, man, is, um, you definitely the mind goes back to 2019 when Ino Kunkwe was given that, that poison challenge to go to India. And I, and I was on that tour and <laughs> it felt like mission impossible. I, I think Mali's probably actually in a better in a better position in terms of the team and the prospects of going to Australia. Um there's a lot less scarring. South Africa have won their last three trips to, to, to Australia. They've got the attack that can exploit the conditions. So maybe not as as mission impossible as going to India after World Cup trauma and losing hundreds and hundreds of test caps of experience. <laughs> the only concern is it's been a while since he's sort of locked horns with top coaches and 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 really got stuck into the day-to-day -day of international cricket coaching um the pandemic was not kind to the sa team they hardly played um so he's twiddled his thumbs and you'd hope that he, he stayed sharp whichever way that he stayed and obviously the next few weeks are going to be crucial in terms of getting ready um but like you say you know he, he was a point he was assistant to Otis Gibson, and by all accounts of, of members of that team, he was popular and he was methodical and he was thorough. Um, you know, there was there was a quiet intensity about him. Um, so in that sense, yeah, he he was next in line, and this is the opportunity. Let's let's wish him all the best and see how he goes in in the cauldron that is Australia in the prime of summer. It is Mission Impossible. I mean. Honestly, I, I, yes, yes, South Africa do have a, a very, very fine fast bowling attack um, and and they will take wickets. But, um, I mean, given how short of runs they were, given how fragile the, the batting looked in England, I know it's Duke's ball and Jimmy Anderson and Ollie Robinson and, and Stuart Broad, um, but, but 
really. I mean, Hazelwood, Stark, Cummins and whoever else against that top order with a kookaburra. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a horrible task. I, I, I don't know. I went on my first tour to Australia in, in 94. So, um, you know, for, I spent like a decade and a half going to Australia, fully expecting to be uh, drilled in the commentary box and on the field. And that duly happened. And as you said, um, you know, uh, 2008, 2012, 2016, three extraordinary test series. We'll have to do a whole, well, we will. We'll do a whole podcast uh, before that series. I'll be going to Australia again. Um, but, but you know, I, right before this tour, I sort of feel like, like I did before the, you know, the 98 and 2002, 2007 tours, 2005 tour to Australia. It's just... It's just a horrible, horrible task, um, and a thankless one for an interim coach. Well, geez, man, is with that attitude, uh, I, I, I definitely hope that the South Africans don't employ those tactics of doom and gloom of '98. <laughs> Most of these guys weren't even born in '98. Look, Australian cricket is quite likely not going to make the semi-finals of this of a tournament they were expecting to defend on home soil and waltz into the final and you know really ramp up the momentum so they've got their own problems um yes the batting is a big concern um but with that big concern are the most similar circumstances that south african batsmen can bat in hard fast pitches with a kookaburra ball ball coming onto the bat um the the likes of Dean Elgar, Esha Ervia will wonder if they'll ever go on another Australian tour. So that alone should inspire whoever's never been there to face up and, and, and front up and make a Boxing Day hundred or make a century at you know the SCG. These are these are memories for life and you can't regardless who the coaching staff is, regardless how poorly you've done in Test cricket this year, no one no one can buy you that experience. It's it's there. It's the opportunity is there. Eighty thousand people playing and watching a test match is is ludicrous. It just doesn't happen. I don't think South African cricket gets eighty thousand people watching an entire series. Now you've got a day where you walk out and there's just thousands upon thousands in this coliseum. I mean, it's a wonderful opportunity for 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 these dreams that these guys keep ticking off. So there will be no shortage of motivation. Um, and you've got to approach it in that spirit. I mean, half that team has never, ever lost a test series in Australia. They, they, their mindset is completely opposite. KG went and won a match when there was half an attack injured in the middle of a game. Dale Stane got injured. Didn't matter. Kakisura still cleaned up the Australians. So how you approach it mentally, and it's probably helped being in Australia now and getting used to the peculiar way that they cover events with a very strong Australian lens and it's good. It's a good precursor to the series for those who've never been there before. Um, yes, it's a change of coaching staff, but a lot of the key cogs in that wheel will still be there and they'll say, actually, Warner, all of them, they don't like it when you get on top of them and, and actually they're still in a situation of rebuilding themselves and their reputations as well. So if you put them under pressure, you could you could shift that noise and, and and they're the ones feeling the pressure, not us. So 
It's a great opportunity, um, not just for Mali, but 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 for young young men with with big ambitions, and we might have thought we're just not going to go to Australia at Boxing Day and New Year's anymore. Now they are, so why wouldn't you be excited? Tell us a little bit about uh, Mali, the man. I mean, he's forty-two years old. He's very personable, isn't he? He's very approachable. He's a he's a people person, um, which I think is a good thing, and. Um, dare I say, it will be a contrast to Mark Boucher. Massive, massive contrast. I think as South Africa and South African sport opens opens itself up to a different style of leadership, a different style of coaching, uh, where it, it, it's not kicking and screaming and intimidating and, um, you know, all for one and you know, band of brothers, sometimes it's just the more quieter, almost statesman, like have a quiet word and remind people of how lucky they are, how talented they are. Not that you lack intensity by speaking quietly in a corner as opposed to screaming and shouting at the top of your voice. But, you know, there's there's different styles and there's different ways to inspire people. And Miley's certainly not going to stand in the dressing room and scream and shout and throw things, so Alex Ferguson style. But there, there's a far more measured approach. There's a, there's a quieter, more humble um, student of the game type. Um, but there's no shortage of passion. And, and, and every player that he's worked with will tell you that he's a student of the game. He watches intensely. He takes long hours beyond practice and beyond meetings, analyzing every single aspect of the game so that he can come back the next day to nets and and empower that extra five percent to players that need it. You can, you know, put a put an arm around a shoulder and 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 technically very sound. Um, analyzes the small details and 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 makes sure that he he gives the encouraging voice to to players who need it. Sometimes, you know, not everyone thrives on tough love, um, and there'll be there'll be players in that team who are excited about less noise. Not to say that noise hasn't sometimes helped, but just a calmer environment where you you can talk things through and you can go and have long coffees and long walks and, and just think analytically about what it is that you're trying to do as a sportsman uh, and sort of reflect on, on the burden of, well, the exciting burden of responsibility that comes with, you know, going to these new frontiers and, 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 and representing your team. And he's going to be just as excited because he's never taken a team to Australia and gone to the MCG. So there's, there's, there's an innocence and there's, there's, there's almost a romance in, in starting this new journey in, in, in the toughest of places historically, but approaching it in a way that you've not approached it before. It's not going to be meeting Australia fire with fire because quite frankly, you can't, you know, it's, it, 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 it's a learning curve. It's, it, it's a very steep learning curve, but it's, it's an adventure that they're embarking on together. Uh, with a team that's still trying to find itself, now with a coach who's trying to find himself, and a, a, a lot of players who are there for the first time, they're going to approach it with fresh eyes, and 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 they'll be better cricketers for it, regardless of the result. Um, uh, so, why not start in the one place that people have feared for decades? Why not start it and, and started with a clean slate of no emotional scarring and no oh don't you dare look at that paper because they're going to write the he doesn't know and and you know half his players don't know so you can't be scared of what you don't know you know so good for him 
I'm enjoying this. You're in a romantic mood this morning, Sams. Um, right, we'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk about Dear Vault Brevis. Romance is not dead. <laughs> okay. Right. You're listening to Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. Whatever your team, we have the show for you on podcast, YouTube, or on the 99.94 app. We have India, England, South Africa, West Indies, and now Sri Lanka covered. If you want to find us, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994DM by downloading the 9994 app or Google 99.94 on podcast. We speak cricket. Uh, Sam, um, yes, well, romance is not dead. Um, I like that a lot. Okay, uh, you've just got me thinking, yeah. Okay, maybe I'm being a bit pessimistic. Um, but I just don't know who's going to score the runs. Uh, Dean Elgar will have to score a lot. Maybe Rusty Funderdussen will finally come good in the test arena. But as I said, I need to move on uh, to talk about um, the Cricket South Africa, the CSA T20 Challenge, the domestic the domestic um, T20 tournament, which is uh, just reaching its... Um, well, it's the finals being decided now. The Titans will um, take on the Dolphins from your part of the world. But we need to talk about Diavolt Brevis, who's just scored the third highest um, in the final group game. He made the third highest total in T20 cricket behind Aaron Finch and Chris Gale, but with a higher strike rate. It's just staggering. Um, the numbers, um, 162 off 57 balls. Um, I watched it live and, and it, it just looked like a highlights package. In fact, I thought I was actually watching a highlights package because... I think he took 26 off and over, and uh, I thought this must be highlights, and it wasn't. So the, the numbers are truly staggering. But um, again, every time he does something extraordinary, he, I keep thinking, this guy's playing senior cricket for the, for the first time. He's, he's never been in a South African squad, and he's doing things like this. And I just keep thinking that he's... He's creating a, a career path and setting a precedent that so many other young South Africans may follow. Yeah, it was an extraordinary innings. Um, the audacity of the shot making and to keep hitting the ball that cleanly for that, you know, that length of time is frankly ridiculous. Um, and it is exciting, of course. Um, but, you know, we, we, we do have to be careful and, and and remind ourselves that just a couple of podcasts ago, we we're talking about just how little we are missing by not watching too much of this, this CSA T20 challenge, that the standard is not the best. So therefore the bowling is not the best. And, you know, we, we spoke about stubs in previous episodes and, and, and the leap up. There still is a leap up. It's exciting, um, but you'd hope that that Titans dressing room keeps on reminding him feet firmly on the ground, forget the money that's going to be pouring in and all the offers that keep coming to get T20 gigs around the world, feet on the ground. If if, if your ultimate ambition is to play for South Africa and, and not just make millions around the world clubbing clubbing seals, quite frankly, uh, <laughs> then you, you still have to stay humble. And, you know, his, his, his idol would have heard the same noises from pretty much the time he was a precocious teenager at Afis 
you know, you are God sent and you are this, you will change the way South Africans bet you, you know, one of his biggest skill sets was a humility and almost a freakish ability to be anxious before every single game because it mattered. So the minute you take away that nervous energy and excitement because you're telling him that he walks on air and he can bet with his eyes closed and hit sixes without looking, which he, he did the other day, uh, then you run the risk of, of spoiling what is a very mm. exciting product. But the key is to feet firmly on the ground and remind yourself that those days, as, as wonderful as they are, are few and far between where everything you try happens. You know, you've got to start again against the Dolphins in the final. You've got to start again in the new tournament that comes. You've got to start again. And, and, and crazy performances like that only heighten the level of expectation around you and the hype and the hysteria and the media about you. But you've got to eliminate all that noise and remember that you can still get a first baller in the next game. So you've, you've got to take everything with a dose of reality. Uh, it, it's very exciting. But, you know, there's, there's, there's been a lot of hype and hysteria and looking forward to what he could do. It's important to remind ourselves of the standard that he was playing and the fact that just as Stubbs is finding out at the highest level, it gets harder. It gets harder. So, you know, let's let let's treat it with a dose of of reality um, of 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 what it was and where he was. But for pure ball striking, incredible, absolutely incredible. Tell you what else was in, incredible um, was the interview that he gave afterwards to to SuperSport, um, and he made uh, one comment that left Ashwell Prince, who was uh, was was on the panel that was interviewing interviewing him, left him absolutely speechless. Um, so I, I was that kid, Sams, uh, that when I got my first ever brand new bat, in fact, I only ever had one brand new bat in my entire life. When I, when I got it as a kid, I took it to bed. I slept with it. Um, that's how um, wrapped up in the game I was. The modern equivalent <laughs> would be Diervolt Brevis. Now, I think he's... If he ever did sleep with his cricket bat, I think he's, he's grown out of that now. But he, in this interview, I don't know whether you saw it, but he said that he he does his own analysis. We spoke in the last pod about you know the the growing industry of analysts, um, and particularly in T Twenty game, in the T Twenty game, who come up with these matchups and stats, and um, he, he does that himself. It's just absolutely staggering. He he, he spends hours and hours researching, finding on YouTube and wherever he can find footage of the bowlers that he is going to be facing. And indeed, the batters as well, because, you know, he bowls very, very decent leg spin. I mean, properly decent, better than Faf Duplessis used to bowl, um, I think. Anyway, I mean, he turns it. He seems to have a googly as well. Um, I haven't seen a wrong one yet, but I mean, it, anyway, he does Hours and hours of analysis, um, and he 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 says that he's in that zone where he like during this innings he knew what the bowlers were going to bowl at him. I mean, it's just staggering, isn't it? I mean, he I mean he really does live and breathe the game, and I don't know how sustainable that is in the long term. Yeah, long long may that innocence uh, and. Uh you know, hunger and, and, and desire to learn last because that keeps you sharp. Um, and, 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 you know, I've, I've, I've chatted to him 
In fact, it was around this SA20, and there were a couple of very quick things that we needed from him um, in terms of promoing it, because obviously he's one of the players that were released up front. And you've never, you've never spoken to a more courteous, and this is not on cameras in front of Supersport, which you know you do get training for. This is just a cold call from somebody that you've actually never spoken to in your life, and you could quite just as easily um, dismiss it and just carry on with your day. He's missed the first phone call and he's called back full of apologies and asking what he can do. And then the plan kind of changed and it was sort of, oh, we'll get back to, I'll, I'll get back to you because I'm not sure if we still need you. He's phoned back two days later. I'm about to go away with friends for the weekend, but I was wondering if you still needed me to do that video because uh, I wanted to do it properly and in an environment that's controlled because I know it's important and we spoke. So there's a real humility and genuine just genuine love for the game and, and, and what the game has given him. Uh, and as long as you don't lose that um, in the noise, because there will be a lot more noise and SA20 is coming and all these things, um, as long as the people around him keep his fit firmly on the ground, you know, he's very exciting, a very exciting talent for South Africa, as you say, with bad ball. The, the thing that excited me most about that game actually is the catch that he took when Simon Harm was bowling. Because it wasn't enough that he made all those runs. Yeah. <laughs> That catch on the boundary, flicking it back up and then acrobatically catching it. You know, that's, he can't have watched hours and hours of footage of doing that. That's just instinct. That's just instinct for the game. <laughs> um, of all the highlights, that, that actually is the one that struck out to me because he was even happier with that than actually any of the shots that he played because Runzo is his bread and butter. But effecting a catch that changes the game and wins a wicket for someone else. And you could see the joy in his face and all his teammates as well. Um, he's a genuine team team man and, and, and you know, good for him. It, it, it's good to see youngsters living out their dreams and, and, and still staying humble enough and, and, and realizing that as much as his individual success game, you only win when you're part of a team. Okay, we'll take a short break and uh, we'll come back with a, a short third section and we're talking about Fafti uh, Plessis and his schoolboy buddy, A.B. de Villiers. If you love the language of cricket and want more, then head over to the 99.94 app and you can hear all of our podcasts and cricket commentary. We're adding new shows all the time and covering cricket series from all over the world. Be the first to hear all of our announcements by following us on social media at 9994DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. Okay, just a short section uh, this time because um, my timing is not very good once again, Sams. Uh, so it, it, just think of this as a teaser because I think we'll be doing several pods on this uh, on, on this subject um, in the future. So a couple of nights ago, I um, I emceed the launch of Fafdu Plessis' biography um, and I interviewed him on stage. What what there are so many fascinating things, by the way. Um, you know, there's just, as I mentioned uh, a couple of uh, days ago on another pod, that there's, it's a, just unvarnished truth. I mean, there's, you know, there's there's the zipper gate when he, mint gate. Um, by the way, he was responsible for two changes in the laws of the game, actually, because uh, so following the zipper gate when he was done for ball tampering, um, then it's now in the laws of the game. There can be no metal zipper on any part of your cricketing attire. And also that you can't use a mint um, to to shine the, the ball. 
And there's Sandpaper Gate. I mean, that chapter is absolutely uh, riveting. But uh, I just wanted to talk about, um, the, uh, amongst many other things, uh, the fascinating his relationship with A.B. de Villiers. Now, they, were, they went to the same school, Uffies, in Pretoria, and um, their careers ran alongside each other. But um, A.B.'s took off, just shot ahead, um, and Fuff says in the book, you know, he was uh, he was left to take the dirt road to success, whereas uh, AB's talent uh, saw him take the the super highway, and so for many many years he was playing catch up. But he's so honest about the relationship um, that he has that he had from a very early age. You know, he talks about the, the being jealous and and resentful of of uh, of AB. Um, and then how, as he, he, he slowly caught up, well, he, he admits he never caught up. I mean, he was never as talented as, as AB, but um, he eventually got to the national team and their friendship became closer again. And when he became captain, um, that um, the Sandpaper Gate series, test series, um, he describes how he went to AB and, and said, you know, they lost the first test in Durban. And he says, I need you, I need you. To, to come really hard. Um, and he talks about how the bullies hate to be bullied and we're going to have to bully Australia here because, of course, South Africa had never beaten them. Um, and he talks about, um, again, in complete uh, complete honesty, about AB's sudden availability for the 2019 World Cup, um, you know, calling him... 36 hours before the squad was announced and, and having not played international cricket and making himself available. Um, so, the, you know, AB features in the book a lot. Um, and so this is the teaser part because, this, you know, we'll have to do a series of podcasts to dis- explore this issue. But it reminded me um, why of... Well, the question to you is why. It reminded me of... Um, the fact that AB doesn't enjoy the love and reverence in South Africa that he should, that his achievements warrant. Yeah, it's a very good question, Manus. Um, and I suppose, you know, AB's in India right now and the love for him over there goes to extremes. I mean, I, I saw a picture yesterday of a man who's tattooed AB's face on his forearm. Um, how you do that before any of your family members or a child of yours, but you know, the, the, the love is obscene, <laughs> absolutely obscene, but because it's purely based on cricket, I think in South Africa, and there's a few, you know, tall poppies will tell you that there, there is a, a, a very much a, a disdain for tall poppies, whether it's intended or not, you know, Kevin Peterson will tell you a different side of the fact that he was outspoken about South Africa and everything they did to derail his career, which is why South Africans hated him for, for all the noise that he made. And he started patching that up over the years. Um, but then there's, when you can't explain genius, and I suppose people manifest a lot of their dreams into those that they think are gifted beyond normal measures. Maybe you expected AB to touch heights and and win things that he wasn't supposed to. And, and you sometimes forget that like we say, cricket is a team game, and as as brilliant as one person can be, um, it's 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 never ever going to happen that you're going to win things single handedly. I mean, ask Brian Lara, ask Sachin Tendulkar, 
you can be absolutely mind-bogglingly brilliant, but you're still part of a team. Um, and 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 I suppose he, for a long time he wasn't that expressive of his frailties and uh, shortcomings and anxieties. So people just, you know, a bit like Jacques Cullis, people just see this robot who just cross different formats can just make it happen. And, and, and it seems to come easier to him than anybody else. And it's hard to build a relationship sometimes with what you cannot understand. And, and, and the things that A.B. de Villiers did at the peak of his powers, very few could even dream of. But he made them and he made them look easy. And and I suppose the cynics would say they felt shortchanged about the very biggest moments because you had the audacity of talent to, to win a World Cup or to win something major. Um, don't know. And then obviously the relationship sort of fell away after that 2015 World Cup where whoever's book you read, anyone who was in that change room, their lives were never the same after the build-up to that match and the aftermath. Um, the pain was, you know, on many levels and, and in many different directions. It wasn't just losing a, a match. It was losing control of the situation and, and losing the team that you wanted and losing the plans that you'd best laid and the weather and all these. It, it, it kind of, I suppose it was a bit like kids realizing for the first time that Christmas is, is just a, a fantasy or something, but you, you learn in the harshest way because <laughs> every single thing that you've built up and you think you've done all the yards, you've gone through all the pain and you've got the perfect team and you've got the perfect environment, you've got the perfect captain who's playing the form of his life. Everything is there and then it gets snatched away so dramatically and so publicly. It's never ever the same to pick yourself up again. And he's admitted that he fell out of love with with cricket and it, it never was quite the same after that. And I suppose for the normal man on the South African street, man or woman, it's the not understanding how when you you're so ridiculously gifted you struggle to get to get up again um so it's been this this distant relationship but when you speak to him it's a lot of it was just born out of fear and 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 and, you know shyness and what people mistake for aloofness is actually just genuine genuine shy um you know, a shy boy from Pretoria who just knows how to play cricket but doesn't know how to wade through public relations waters and for all the help that he got, you know, the public just sees you. And then, you know, Quentin de Kock has gone through that and you hope Devil Brevis doesn't go through things like that because public is unforgiving. Even when they mean well, they are ruthlessly unforgiving because they don't understand how this person who has everything gives us so little in their minds in terms of their time and their raw emotion and their talent on the biggest stage and winning us the things, you know, the pink day is a great day and there's, there's been centuries where that have been ridiculous, but is there no way you could have transferred that into a World Cup final so that your talent is celebrated by us as much as it is by India? There's this, it's a weird dynamic, but it, it's, when you ask him, it's the, the thing that he's proudest of is is being South African and playing for South Africa, just like Faf is. So it's it's complicated. And, 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 you know, as fluent as you can be with the bat or ball, sometimes it's hard to express yourself and, 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 and explain just how much this matters to you and how much it hurts when you see headlines questioning your loyalty or your allegiance or, uh, you know, 
they're still human, just like we're all human and we go to work and your boss cucks on you and that's you gone for the day. Their bosses, it's, it's pretty public. You know, the circumstances and consequences of their actions are pretty public. There's millions of eyes scrutinizing every single thing they do. And, and, and sometimes we forget that. And that's why I keep on saying for youngsters like Brevis and uh, Stubbs and whoever else comes through, it's, it's important to try and protect that innocence for as long as possible. Because once it's gone, you know, it's gone. And, and, and you never ever look at the world the same and you never, you know, have that wide-eyed expression and you never, because life has taught you that you can be as well-meaning as you want. This game will hurt you and hurt you in ways that you never thought possible to break your heart forever. I mean, like we said, 2015 World Cup, every single person has a horror story of where they were crying like a, a newborn baby, not knowing what to do with themselves over a game of cricket. But that's how much they care. But the next day you wake up and you're a lot more cynical or you're a little more cynical because you know that when you invest and the investment doesn't pay out, how deeply it hurts. Uh, and I would say that AB probably never recovered from 2015 and a few others probably haven't. And you get up and go back to work the next day and try and fix it. But you'll never go to a World Cup semi-final again and have that opportunity that close where you think everything is in place. And then we'll never understand that as, as, as mere mortals. We'll never understand that. And maybe that distant relationship is why he doesn't have quite the love that others who've done a lot less and, and given a lot less in terms of just astonishing, just range of highlights and just ridiculousness where you just go, you can't do that. You're not supposed to do that. The human body and the human mind is not supposed to lap Dale stand at 150 and then take a Superman catch and then single-handedly destroy an Australian attack in a test series with so much going on. <laughs> but you did it and you can't understand that. Okay, Sams, was it a good resemblance? The tattoo. It actually was. You know, it you could see traces of A B in there. So Yeah. <laughs> must be weird seeing your, your face on someone else's arm. A man at that. But anyway. A lot happened in <laughs> India. Okay. Uh, any, everything happens in India. Thanks for listening to South Africa on 99.9 for uh, Cricket Every Day. Please rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can download the 99.4 app um, and follow us on Twitter at Neil Manthorpe and at Whamzam17. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us.